Aloha, this is Jason from Hawaii. Welcome to a very special edition of the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. In this episode, I will be interviewing a very special guest, comic book creator, Ed Pisker. He is here to promote his comic, Red Room. It's a 12-part limited series from Fanagraphics. Um, a couple of things is that first off, you know, it's in black and white. And second, please note it is for mature readers. Um, it's more for themes, language, and um, very graphic violence. Now, for Ed's history, Ed's history, um, he has done Deviant Funnies, um, Isolation Chamber in the early 2000s, um, Macedonia from Villard Books in, 20, in 2007 with the late, great Harvey Pecker, um, The Beats, a graphic history in 2009, again with the late, great Harvey Pecker, Wizwig from Top Shelf 2012, Hip Hop Family Tree by, first off, on online Boing Boing in 2012 to 2015 and in print uh, by Finographics that was released in 2013, 2016. Now this also won the 2015 Eisner Award. And of course, everybody knows he's done X-Men Grand Design by Marvel Comics. And that was released between um, 2017 to 2018. Now, Ed, feel free to correct me did I miss anything? Did I mispronounce anything? Uh, Harvey Picar is, oh, is his name, but but that's that's all that's all good, man. You know what? The uh, we're we're recording this August seventeenth, twenty twenty one. Red Room is like the culmination of all of my kind of COVID lockdown uh, time. You know, like I spent all of twenty twenty working on that thing, and my life really didn't change very much in that year because I was. I was preparing to just work on this comic as much as possible. Anyhow, mm -hmm. the one, the one thing that did change and the one set of plans that did get upset was I was supposed to be at the Maui uh, comic festival man in October. And uh, obviously that got, that got cut short. So that's like the one thing I missed out on that, that like I'm really bummed out about because I was going to just hang out on the islands for a while, go comic digging. And then, and then from there, fly to Japan for like a month. Oh my God! <laughs> Wait, you're supposed to go to um, Maui Comic Con this year? Twenty in twenty twenty. Oh, in twenty twenty. Oh, okay. I'm yeah, 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 yeah. That was like the one piece that got upset in my twenty twenty, you know, career. Uh, we're gonna try to make it happen again, uh, you know, as soon as possible. If not this year, next year, something like that. But yeah. Oh my God. Okay. So, um, because, um, I, I, because I, I know the store owner, Ali Kaseki, yeah. comics and collectibles. He's a great guy. He really is. Yeah. He's our dude, man. Like he, he supplies us with all kinds of cool comics and stuff. He helped me complete my, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles collection, man. Oh, <laughs> that's rare issues. That's really nice. Oh my God. Um, sorry guys. I know we're going off the cuff here, but Ed, if you're ever in Maui Comic Con, because I've never been there. I've always wanted to go. But if I hear that you're going, I'm definitely going to be there. It'll be know. cool to shake your hand, man. Oh, man. Oh. What, what island are you on? I'm on Oahu. Oh, yeah, cool. the, the main island, yes. But, yeah, but, the, but I'm going to say, but um, Maui, you know, to do a convention for your very first experience in the islands, to do a convention, Maui is the perfect place. Is that so? 
it is to me it is because then it's like you have more of the um natural beauty and so forth um i know when comic book creators come to hawaii for the first time it's always on oahu because you know we have um uh, the um, Comic-Con Honolulu and Amazing Comic-Con here on Oahu, you know, and, you know, comic book creators say, oh, you know, they love this place. It's great and so forth. Um, I'm going to say me, me personally, it, because it's like, it's like another, it's like another major city on the mainland. It's all, you know, everywhere you look, it's all, you know, like build tall buildings, hotels and so forth. Um, on Oahu, you would have to drive to the North shore or out of the town area to sort of really get capture the, the beauty of the islands. Um, but Maui, I think for you to start off in Maui, that's perfect. It really is. Yeah. The photos that I saw looked, looked really cool. Uh, all that said, Jimmy J, the dude who runs uh, amazing uh, yes. Ho Hawaii con or whatever. Uh, hey man, invite us out there too. I wouldn't mind seeing the main uh, island. Uh -huh, yeah. So I'm, I'm just asking, so how do you know Jimmy J? He knows that like I'm a big mark for Rob Liefeld and you know he he had a um a, a publishing company that he sort of ha had a stake in with with Liefeld uh, awesome books or awesome entertainment or whatever. Uh -huh. Yes. So he uh invited me and Tom Scioli down to like amazing Houston con or whatever and he he set me up right between to the left of me was Herb Trimpey. Oh, wow. To the right of me was Rob Liefeld. God. And it was like one of the raddest con experiences ever. In fact, it was so cool uh, because I got to rap to, to Herb Trimpey for a while, you know, like he was sitting there just constantly on that grind, man, uh, doing commissions yes. and got to express like all of my love for his work and everything. Mm -hmm. And he and he passed like two weeks later, man. He was no longer with us like two yeah. weeks later. He looked totally fine. You know, he we, we were discussing uh, he, he would run every morning, like go on jogs and stuff. And he... Wow. He was doing super well, but like, you know, man, just, mm -hmm. just, just came a calling and, and uh, we lost him. But I was so thankful because his work means a lot to me. Like I grew up reading the, the very few kind of constants in my life mm -hmm. growing up were comic books yes. and specific comic books. G.I. Joe would be one of them, yes. X-Men, mm -hmm. Batman comics, like the ones that were super popular mm -hmm. that you would always find issues of in the grocery store. Like you, you might not find issues of, I don't know, Daredevil or yeah. one of the lesser X titles, but those big ones you could always get your hands on. And those, those things were constants to me. And Herb Trimpey had some uh, cool G.I. Joe comics, you oh, know? Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and there were like five, like I told him like my five like Herb Trimpey loves, man. Uh, and like one of them, probably like my number one yes. is uh, Rolling Stones uh, magazine cover where he draws the Incredible Hulk, but he draws it in like, his own natural style, uh -huh. and which is so different than the kind of rank and file Marvel house style where he's instructed to draw mm -hmm. uh, like Jack Kirby as best he can. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, he's that journeyman kind of guy, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a carpenter, you know, like, like he, whatever Marvel needs, like he'll sort of ma manipulate his style to give them what, what they want. And in the early, in the 60s, 70s, it was that Kirby vibe. Yes, and then when yes. I was growing up in in the early '90s, man, everybody was trying to draw like Jim Lee, you know. And yeah, in, in a X Men annual, he drew a Bishop story in like the Jim Lee style. And and to my taste, he totally schooled all those dudes because he knows anatomy and he knows storytelling. He just had that varnish of all that like 
wide apart cross hatch uh, that like Scott Williams would do. Yes. But I thought he was showing those dudes like, yo, this is how you really do it. If you're going to play around with all those lines and, and just uh, uh, have veneer and artifice on your stuff, well, let me show you how to make a story in that kind of style. And that shit was fresh, man. Wow. But yeah, I mean, that's great that you're able to talk to him. I really, you know, tell him how much you loved his work. Wow, that, that is awesome. Yeah, real cool. Yeah. So, um, all right, Ed, I'm sorry. Let, let me just, I'm going to finish up my intro and then we'll just jump right in. Oh, okay? snap, we didn't even get through the intro. Go ahead, yeah. man. No, don't worry, don't worry. Because the, the other thing too I just want to do is that, um, I, you, know, you know, before you start the interview, you know, I want to give a big mahalo, you know, a thank you in Hawaiian to Hannah Hedry of Superfan Promotions for arranging this interview with Ed. Hannah, thank you very much for your, all your hard work. You know, thank you very much, Hannah. Ed, I'm going to ask, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I want to thank Hannah as well, man. She, she, she put up with, puts up with a lot because like on top of the monthly grind with the strips, like we're doing the publicity thing too. Mm-hmm. And like I'm slow with my emails back to her sometimes and stuff. Mm-hmm. So she's super patient. I'm really thankful. Yes, she. Yes, she's very. Yeah, she's very. She's really nice because I know because sometimes my emails are a little slow with her. So yeah. So Hannah, thank you very much. Okay, so Ed, I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna start off. So how are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. Mm-hmm. Just just on that grind. You know, we had a free comic book day on uh, Saturday, mm-hmm. so uh, it was kind of fun dropping eighty thousand free comics on people's heads you know uh i I, rec- I recommend that all cartoonists do that at some point mm-hmm. go give away eighty thousand comics one day it's it's good career move yeah okay I, i'm just sorry um for free i mean i'm gonna ask um 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 were you at a local comic shop or anything like that when you did that or yeah yeah like uh you know, there's a meme going around where it's like the left image is uh, my plans for 2021. Yes. And, then the right, and then the right image is like, you know, Delta variant. And it's some weird, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, you know, bad piece of business on the right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were maybe going to do a big tour, you know, with my other free comic books. Yeah. It's like, you know, one time we did some West Coast stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, another time we went to Canada and hung out in Toronto and it's always good to like go, go someplace fresh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Pied Piper, the work to, uh, an audience that doesn't get to see me every week or, or, you know, can't, doesn't essentially take, take you for granted, you know, cause like everybody here knows me and shit. Um, but with all this like Delta variant stuff, man, I'm like, I'm just, I'm just staying home. I'm not, I'm not traveling, man. I like, I, I mean, I did go to a local shop. It was a great local shop called, called Phantom of the Attic. And it's a shop that's taken care of me since I was a little kid. You know, those guys were always very sweet to me, very nice. Uh, were really impressed. I, I remember, like, my par- I would give my parents a list for uh, Christmas. Yes. Of what, what kind of comics I want for Christmas. And, you know, my parents, they clearly, like, they pop in the shop, like, clearly have no idea about anything mm-hmm. and when they see the list and they just take it to the clerk and pull all the books that i had on the list mm-hmm. they were like we got to meet this kid you know like because it was like 11 year old kid like interested in stuff ranging from you know vintage kirby mm-hmm. you know like simon kirby era mm-hmm. kirby the cerebus to um masamuni shiro's apple seed oh, uh to frank miller's sin city it's like all this stuff and it's like how old your kid yeah 11 and they're like, we got to see, we got to see what that looks like, man. Uh-huh. So, so 
from that point forward, like uh, I really got to know those people and, they, and they've always uh, taken good care of me. So that, that's, that's my go-to shop in Pittsburgh to do signings and things. It was good. It was good. Definitely not like usual free comic book day. I would, I would honestly say it was about one fifth of the foot traffic. And that probably has to do with, you know, the variant. Yes. It probably yeah. has to do with vacation time. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think that some people like no matter how much they try to promote it, mm-hmm. they, they just didn't know that free comic book day was going down in, in August. And uh, there was there was another big festival happening in town too. So mm-hmm. so uh, it, that festival definitely siphoned a lot of nerd mm-hmm. uh, energy. So uh, it was good, but you know not not the most voluminous free comic book day I've participated in. Mm, I'm sorry to hear about that. That's all good. Yeah. Um. So, like you said, you know, you're 11. You give your list of your comic book list to your parents during Christmas time. Um, I'm going to ask you, you know, um, how did, you know, how did you discover underground comics and then how, and can you describe to our new, you know, to maybe our younger listeners and even to me about what underground comics are? Okay. Well, uh, the way that I discovered them, it was one of the most profound weekends I've, ever had in my entire life uh, mm-hmm. because it was it was a one-two punch of illumination I guess we could call it man mm-hmm. so on Friday there was uh I'm, I'm just breezing through the channels you know sort of late at night mm-hmm. and uh, this is an era in the early 90s where one could not take for granted seeing a Marvel character on a TV screen right like yes. nowadays it's like nothing Yes, there's probably multiple things on multiple channels, mm-hmm. uh, but you just could not take this for granted then. And I was already a comic head, mm-hmm. uh, pretty much just buying stuff that I got at either flea markets or the grocery store. Mm-hmm. So I'm flicking through the stations and uh, on A&E, I see Spider-Man's face real big mm-hmm. and, you know, stop on a dime, man. And, and uh, what I'm witnessing is the documentary called Comic Book Confidential. Mm-hmm. Uh, came out, I think, about 1988 is when it was constructed. And uh, where I stopped f- from uh, channel surfing was the Stan Lee portion of that documentary where he's talking about, you know, the creation of Marvel and the birth of Marvel Comics and, mm-hmm. and his, you know, involvement in that. Well, directly after that piece, like the whole world of comics opens up because it's Robert Crumb, who's the very, very next dude talking on this thing. Man. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about being high on LSD and all this kind of stuff and sex and Mm -hmm. words are getting bleeped out because he says the F word one or two times. Mm -hmm. And the imagery that you see is like, you know, you see camel toes and and, uh, all all kinds of just weird stuff, man, because he's talking about how like when those underground started, like the first thing they had to do was just um, kind of objectify or represent every single taboo that they could think of. Mm-hmm. And they showed little examples of that, man. And then from there, it goes to like Victor Moscoso. It goes to Gilbert Shelton, Fab- Fabulous Furry Freak Brothers. Mm-hmm. And then it just keeps going on and on. Charles Burns, Linda Berry, Jaime Hernandez, Harvey Picar, my dude. Mm-hmm. And then it, you know, it ends with Frank Miller. So I see all this stuff and I'm seeing all of this comic material mm-hmm. that I never even heard of, man. I, I only knew about, uh, the stuff that's in a grocery store, you know, that blew my mind. It really excited me. I was already a comic head mm-hmm. and 
it crossed my mind to um, go to the library and just see what kind of books about comics they, they had. You know, I was a, fr a frequent patron of, of my local Homestead library, would get books all the time. And for some reason, it never occurred to me to uh, look in the, you know, 700s, man, at the, uh, at the, the comic book uh, mm. uh, um, sections, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I did that, you know, at the, you know, the next day, Saturday, mm -hmm. and pulled out a book called Comics with an X by Les Daniels. Mm -hmm. And that just furthered the exact, like, all this stuff was introduced to me, like Harvey Kurtzman, uh, The mm -hmm. Birth of a Comic, uh, Simon Kirby, all that stuff was introduced to me in the documentary because I watched it on a rerun that night. Mm -hmm. And I grabbed that Comics by Les Daniels and it just furthers that education and, and gives me print examples of all the stuff that I saw in that documentary. So there's a healthy section of underground stuff. There's full fabulous furry freak brother stories to, uh, to read. There's, I think the complete zap number zero is in there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, that's, that's a heck of an education in like a two days span. <laughs> and I guess to answer your question about the undergrounds, like, yeah. like, I don't know that answer, you know, uh, I, be, because, you know, there was a very specific movement of underground comics that had to do with distribution Mm -hmm. And uh, you, that, this would be the Zap comics and mm -hmm. the Jew funnies and things like this mm -hmm. that didn't have the distribution channels of yeah. the newsstand like the typical comics, but they kind of proliferated by mm -hmm. way of the head shops that mm -hmm. were already dealing in like psychedelic posters and okay, yeah. that kind of stuff. So like those same distributors who already had warehouses and models set up to, you know, supply you know, black light posters and shit mm -hmm. to all these little shops. They just added a section to their catalog so that they could hustle these, these undergrounds. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, when you say underground, like that, like that's a very, I think about this, that specific point in time. Oh yeah. Uh, but then there are these things where like, they would call Harvey Picar underground cartoonist, underground writer. And mm -hmm. the books that I did with him were for major New York publishers. So it's like, how underground is that? You know, yeah. it's like, the same publisher who published the Da Vinci Code published our book. Like, is that underground? Like, mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't quite think so. Yes. But I do, th I, I do think that the modern underground is a fun space, and there are things that that I think of that fit that bill, mm -hmm. like like Jason Carnes Fuckator comics that he prints up all by himself on uh, an inkjet, like a bubble jet printer. Uh -huh. uh, so you know he he you know wastes tons of toner. Mm -hmm. and, and binds these things and you know there can't be more than just a couple hundred of them and they're extremely sublime and really uh kind of um a, a bastard stepchild of those undergrounds so like those are cool and there's yeah. real interesting stuff happening now uh just like people xeroxing mini comics and things so is mm -hmm. that underground like that that probably fits the the um, more mainstream definition of like what underground means yes mm -hmm. yeah because i'm gonna because you know, um, Ed, uh, you know, because like, because when I think about underground comics, you know, um, you know, before we started the interview, you know, I talked about like, you know, because I, re you know, because all I saw at comic book shops were, it was always Marvel and DC and, you know, the, uh, you know, um, you know, um, and these underground comics and it basically was like, you know, um, drug use, sex, and it wasn't just, you know, like, oh, someone getting out of the bed. It's like, you know, nudity in there. 
and so forth. It was always behind the counter. And then, like you said, nowadays it's, um, you know, because there, right now there is like a kind of like a modernized, correct me if I'm wrong, but now there's sort of like a, almost a, like another modernized, uh, modern day uh, underground comic movement because like image can be you know, like nowadays, like most, you can pick up any comic and you have nudity in there, um, drug use. But there's also today again another like underground comic movement. Is that correct? Am I am I getting that wrong? Well, you know, I don't know about that. Like, uh, just just because there's nudity or drug use or something in a comic, that doesn't make it an underground comic. And in fact, I would say that that those things that were like like drug use or or, or sexual content, mm-hmm. that's just the medium growing up. Because guess yeah. what? People have sex and people people do drugs mm-hmm. and because of the chilling effect of the comics code that kind of prevented any kind of like adult growth in the medium for like three decades, mm-hmm. uh, the medium has just kind of caught up to real life in mm-hmm. a way. Like, like uh, these are things that people do. So yes. that, that doesn't make it an underground thing. Uh, if, if there was an underground movement, like I, 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 I pray for there to be an underground movement because I want to see, chaos in comics like mm-hmm. i want to see people express crazy ideas mm-hmm. that will get them you know shunned from the community or something like that man like you know people are pretty soft these days mm-hmm. uh you know kool-aid pumping through their veins uh <laughs> like let, let me let me see some modern rabble rouser who's uh-huh. willing who has nothing to lose and yeah. is willing to put some crazy shit out there you mm-hmm. know like i would i would i would check that out Okay, I'm going to say that's a perfect segue to go into your comic book series, Red Room. Now, I'm going to ask you, you know, what is the premise of this story? Um, it's a it, Red Room, it's kind of like a, if you ever hear that term, story engine. And the story engine is that uh, I, I'm constructing a universe where this urban legend of Red Rooms exists. And, uh-huh. and what that is, it's the idea that on the dark web, which is largely anonymous and untraceable, Uh there are these streaming webcam uh, chat rooms Uh where where murders are performed for kind of like, you know, high echelon patrons who could afford to participate. Yes. Uh, They pledge donations in the form of cryptocurrency, which can be laundered and can be hard to trace compared to traditional, you know, U.S. legal tender. So Mm -hmm. there's this like anonymous subculture of murder on the dark web for fun and profit. And that is the basic engine that my comics are made. And every single issue is completely self-contained. And Mm -hmm. we're looking at that problem from different angles. So Mm -hmm. one issue might be uh, following around, say, one of the murderers, one of the enactors of this bad stuff and see what a day in the life of that person is like. Uh, there might be an issue that's about the victim. There might be an issue about the kind of person who would patronize such a disgusting mm-hmm. thing. And uh, that, you know, that's the basic idea, but every issue completely self-contained. So if somebody, you know, sees a random issue out there, grab it, buy it, give it a shot. You'll get a complete experience. And if you dig it, you see where I'm going, grab another. The cool thing about it is that it is a world building exercise also. So I don't divorce myself from the parameters that I set up in other issues mm-hmm. to create like a rich world. 
and sometimes characters will interact between issues and things, mm -hmm. but you'll, you'll get a full meal every issue. Yeah, no, and I've read all three issues and I'm gonna say to our listeners, you know, if you can still find issue number one on the stands, pick it up. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a, it, that first issue is like a double size issue and it's very yes. good. Yeah, tri triple size if you go by, you know, today's kind of jobber comics. Because if a, if a Marvel comic is 20 pages, mm -hmm. you know, this thing is 62, 64 pages. Yeah, and it's very, like I said, it's very good. It, re it, it sucks you in. It really does. Um, how did you come up with this story? And how much research did you do, to, do for it? Mm. I'm not, I'm not sure like when, when I came up with it exactly. Uh -huh. it, uh, it, it evolved in many different ways. And I was actually going to start really working on it uh, after the last volume of Hip Hop Family Tree that I put out in like 2015 or 2016. Mm -hmm. But uh, I just took a detour through Marvel Comics because, mm -hmm. because they you know, gave me the opportunity to, to make whatever kind of X-Men comic I felt like making. So I had to take them up on that offer, you know? Yes. Oh, yes. And... Uh, the idea for Red Room, it, like I kept accumulating notes and information, kept reading books, kept reading basically every article that I could find uh, about the subject, about, about the people who basically screw up and get captured, uh, you know, using, using the dark net, which, you know, is very, it could be very upsetting stuff. You know, it's like, uh, on one hand, it's guys like Ross Albrecht, the dude who ran the Silk Road uh, website that was like a black market mm -hmm you know, Amazon kind of website or, or eBay kind of website. Mm -hmm. and, and then there are like, you know, human traffickers and shit like that who do, do weird stuff and get caught. So you read about that kind of thing and, and uh, any books on the subject. So there's good books like American Kingpin uh, about that Ross Albrecht, uh, Silk Road guy, mm -hmm. just, just all, all this kind of stuff is in the back, was in the back of my mind. And the title kind of the comic kind of changed over, over that, say, five years that I was working on other stuff where it was maybe going to be like procedural, like where I'm following around, you know, law enforcement guys. Yes. And then uh, it was going to be like theater of the mind where, yeah, where you never see anything gross or gory. It's just like yeah. thought stuff. Yeah. And on both accounts, I was like, F that shit, man. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, it'd be fun to draw some crazy gore gore stuff you know well, like yes probably learn a lot about anatomy mm -hmm. in the process mm -hmm. and, uh the procedural kind of cop stuff yes not in not really interested man because frankly you can't you can't glean any good information about how they capture people you know like they they keep that stuff a, a close secret mm -hmm. um so so uh in in my comics like law enforcement is a kind of a invisible specter that hangs over the heads of everybody, mm -hmm. but there will never be, I, I doubt that there will ever be an issue that's from like law enforcement perspective. Cause mm -hmm. I just kind of don't care about that part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah okay. Um, and then some of your characters that you come up with, uh, mistress pentagram poker face. How did you come up with these characters and were they based on any, you know, you know, you know, are they, are they, uh, are they riffs on any um, villains or anything like that? Uh, they're not riffs on any villains or anything like this, but uh, while I was designing these characters, 
one thought that I kept in mind was that I want the costumes yes. to be kind of as easy to make, like with real world, you know, appliances and stuff mm -hmm. as possible, because these are, these are just people who are doing this stuff. Uh, I wanted, um, needed to make sure that you don't see one piece of skin because I would imagine that somebody who's doing such vile stuff, like they don't even want the FBI to know their ethnicity. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and furthermore, maybe Mistress Pentagram isn't even female, you know, maybe, maybe that's a ruse too. Like you, like you don't know, like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but, but that's kept, that's kept a secret because you just don't want to help the feds out in any way. Mm -hmm. um, so one of my, you know, secret fantasies of like designing these characters and, and using kind of like simple uh, materials to, to create their costumes and stuff mm -hmm. is I want, I want to see a bunch of my Red Room villains walking around comic conventions whenever those things uh, are in full effect. You know, mm -hmm. I want to see five poker faces uh, at, at, a, at, at Maui Comic Con or something, you know? <laughs> yes. Um because I I know in some of the um in the three issues that are out because you've had like um now correct me if I'm wrong you've had um some of your fans sending um their sketches right their drawings of the characters correct yeah for sure all kinds of stuff man uh, uh tattoos yes yeah uh, there've been tattoos there's been several cosplays there's been sculptures there's been toys mm -hmm. and, and and boatloads of artwork you know like i have about an eight page piece in the back of most issues called the gore gallery where mm -hmm. where uh you know it's an opportunity for people to draw the characters man and, and get their stuff in print yeah that's pretty cool um now um now i know like um in issue number one in the back matter you wrote that you know the that you were listening to Stephen King's Dance McCabe. Um, and then, now correct me if I'm wrong, because um, was that, that, that's like a Stephen King nonfiction book, right? That he was talking about um, uh, how he started to come up with certain ideas of horror, of what uh, media or things around you know, that were happening at during his time period. Is that correct? Or am I wrong on that? Uh, yeah, you, you're, you're pretty much correct. It, it's, it's a nonfiction book for sure. And mm -hmm. he basically goes through every form of media from radio shows to TV shows, to feature film, mm -hmm. uh, novels, short stories, uh, all kinds of stuff. And is basically laying out his major influences and discussing what made those things resonate at the time with which they were created. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, you go through that book and, and there's some very specific patterns that one can draw from like all the major works that he talks about. And mm -hmm. one of those things would be that when these books come out, they just resonate with popular horrors of that moment you yeah. know think of think of something as simple as you know godzilla mm -hmm. and uh the you know the post-atomic age yes atom bomb droppings in mm -hmm. hiroshima and Nag nagasaki you know like mm -hmm. things like that and the book is just rife with drawing those connections mm -hmm. yeah. so it, it, it led me it led me to think like well what would 
a good modern horror be, you know, with, with new stuff that's out there in the universe mm -hmm. that wasn't there even a couple of years ago. Yeah. And the idea of giving people pure anonymity, mm -hmm. you, just, you just know that there's going to be a subsection of people who use that for, for ill will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, because, because my, because, and the reason why I start to talk about that, because my next question is, um, and and I know you've answered it already. So basically, like, is like the Red Room like kind of a social commentary about the internet and how society is today? You know, I, I don't have I don't go into it with a conscious theme because okay. I you know I'm just I'm just a I'm just a regular dude, man. So I don't want to uh, risk being pretentious with mm -hmm. my comics. You know, like I'm making fun visual pot mm -hmm. boilers, but they're with the comics there's a there seems to be a pattern developing uh with the with the way the stories are built and constructed and there are things that that i'm seeing uh after the fact but i'm going in with no conscious conscious mm -hmm. themes or ideas or commentaries or anything like that mm -hmm. but what i do see sort of bubbling up is uh there's you know it's 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 the fact that you know pe people who can get away with murder will uh it's a commentary on like the one percent and how they can basically uh you know do whatever they want without uh getting in, into trouble um it's about secrets mm -hmm. um, it's about dark secrets mm -hmm. and you know as as i continue to put together these issues i think i think more things are gonna gonna show up but it, but there's definitely a piece about just the the internet in general and and the and the sort of cloak of anonymity and what it provides to people and how it can kind of go off the rails. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, which is actually a kind of like Windows ninety five kind of idea in a way, man. Because now the people like people who have like say Twitter accounts or something, yeah, they're say they're saying stuff using their real names and shit mm -hmm. that would have been said by anonymous, anonymous people in, you know, 1995, but nowadays people just like, don't care, you know, mm -hmm. and, and they'll, and they'll risk, you know, getting fired or being blackballed or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and, and just put, put stuff out there without thinking. That, I'm, I never thought of that's an interesting point. That really is. Um, you know, as I mentioned to you before the interview, like, you know, I, I've read the first three issues. Um, I'm going to say that, you know, you know, this comic does resonate with me because, you know, it, it to me, and like I said, to me, it resonates with me because it's about the internet and it's like, you know, what we watch, you know, everything from Twitch. Uh, I, I'm not on Twitch or anything, but it just sounds like, you know, if um, a gamer goes, hey, if I do this, you know, if someone gives me a buck, I'll do this or something like that um, to even seeing literally, I mean, we're seeing like minor surgery procedures like Dr. Pimple Popper on her YouTube channel, you yeah. know, and, and, and because these kinds of things we would never, you know, it would always be like on uh, so like some medical documentary or something, but now it's like, it's almost like, and I'm not, and I'm not, um, singling out Dr. Pimple Popper. There's a bunch of other doctors, but it's almost like every day or every other day, they're, they're always posting videos of, hey, you know, see this huge, you know, 
like Pomar pulling out of this guy's arm, you know, and they go into, they show everything basically. And that's pretty wild. Um, there's lots of stuff, man. Like, uh, like I guess voyeurism is probably a part of, of the comic as well. And also, like, you know, in 2020, a lot of people had to to kind of, like, shuffle around and, and figure out ways to make money and stuff. And, yeah. you know, there, like, a lot of people found, uh, you know, working online uh, as a as kind of successful opportunity. And, and that showed up in many different ways, from Twitch mm-hmm. to uh, doing YouTube. Mm-hmm. To stuff like uh, like OnlyFans or whatever, you know, like that that kind of stuff. Like, so this is like, you know, a a, a hyperbolic version of, you know, being a Twitch guy and getting a dollar to drink a water or whatever the heck they do over there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, I'm going a little bit off the cuff. Um, the first issue of Red Room. What I loved about it was um, some of the characters in there. Like, I think you have. Oh, correct me if I'm wrong. Was it a district attorney? You know, and, you know that he's like on the red room. Like you would, you know, it. it it's to me, it's kind of. It, 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 I like when you did that because then it's like it shows that it's almost like, like you said, it's like the deep dark secrets of normal people that not only do you know that participate, you know, like do those actual gory murders, but you have people that watch it too. Which is kind of interesting. Which I, you know, it's like that. That's pretty, you know, not pretty interesting. But that that was kind of something that resonates with me. Yeah, yeah. Like the some of the most fascinating parts of the comic are, are like the people who who would watch that stuff. So so filling out, you know, the chat rooms whenever mm-hmm. something's going down is a really fun thing to write. And uh, the people who would be able to afford entry into even being in an actual room Mm -hmm. they're they're pretty elite in when it comes to economic stratum so i i needed to show it uh and he he was just you know a defense attorney like one of those blood in the mouth Mm -hmm. robert shapiro johnny cochran type guys uh but he also kind of like works with red room people and my thought with him is that because he's a defense attorney, like he almost like mm-hmm. always like pro does pro bono mm-hmm. or any kind of like red room case so that he could see the case files and That's right. uh, all of the, all of the um, materials that went into discovering and arresting people so that he could pass that information on to the actual red room, you know, owners so mm-hmm. that they can catch any security holes or whatever. Yeah. You got to really like think deep about the conspiracy. Like when you, when you deal with something like this, you have to think deep about how the conspiracy could possibly work and try to like imagine all angles. Yeah. It's, it's, um, that, that's the thing I loved about, um, the red room. It, it's, it, it really, it's, 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 you know, they, they, um, it, it's, it, yeah, it's very, to me, it's like, it's, I'm hoping I'm saying the right word. It's very intricate. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm kind of going off the cuff, but I, one of the other things I loved about the Red Room was when um, Miss Mistress Pentagram, and she captures, oh, Sergeant Slaughter? I can't yeah, Major remember. Slaughter. Major Slaughter. And the, 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 in, the thing that kind of hooked me to her was she's going, I know you have a daughter. Don't worry. You know, we're not going to threaten you or any, you know, we're not going to threat. It, it was just like, she laid out all, you know, 
we're not going to do this, but this is what we want you to do. It, it, it was just like, it was like, it's, it was very well thought out. And that was the thing that the dialogue just kept me going. And it was, like I said, just in simple words, I, I thought it was very interesting. And, you know, it's just like, wow, this is, you know, this is well thought out. So, okay. Um, there's, I saw one Easter egg in issue one that I thought was really cool was um, Cannibal Holocaust, the VHS tape. All right. Now, I know, and I thought that was pretty cool that you put that in there because I, because it kind of, um, because I'm trying to remember, um, because this VHS tape was like banned in so many countries, literally, you know, it was banned, I, you know, for our listeners, these were, these, this was banned in so many countries um, because of, you know, and it was just a movie, if I remember correctly, it was only a movie, but it was banned in so many countries, it was a VHS tape. Um, and then also too, it's like, um, I, I also love the commentary part of, you know, that back then in the, you know, like the late eighties, that was like, um, you know, that was like, um, I guess sort of a, like, um, a, a different version of voyeurism of seeing, you know, um, you know, um, you know, like murderous acts and so forth like that. Um. You know, and I also thought that was really interesting that, you know, that, you know, back then people just, whoever loved these types of things enjoyed it in their privacy of their own home. It would just only be them watching it on a videotape or maybe a group of friends. But nowadays it's like with the Red Room, you know, um, it kind of opens up to show that it's not, it's not, it's no longer um, uh, um um, a privacy thing anymore. It's like people around the world can chime in and so forth. I, I just thought that was very interesting. Yeah, you know, it was um, because it was banned and never received like a proper VHS release as, as far as I know, like the only yeah. time I ever saw it and, you know, the copy, like you no know, two copies look the same, you know, like if you know somebody who has it, like their cover looks different than yours probably, you know, and and like, you know, you had to go to, the bootleg table at the comic conventions to, to, to get, to get that kind of stuff. And it, and that was kind of like an underground thing. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you, that was the only way to get like kind of a lot of movies, you know, like uh, Eraserhead didn't have any real VHS uh, tape oh. at a certain point. Yeah. Um, Wild style didn't have like a proper VHS until like the two thousands or something, whenever mm -hmm. VHS was done, you know? So like, there would be these like bootleg sections and you know the the guys who made wild style they like they were the ones who made the bootleg you know it's just like they, they made the movie before vhs was popular and they didn't never made a deal you know like yeah. for anticipating some kind of future media mm -hmm. um so like the, the cannibal holocaust thing was very specific because it was like that was you know a, a former version of that underground kind of culture yes. and it is just a feature film you know i mean they they absolutely you know destroy animals uh, mm -hmm. for real in that flick and mm -hmm. which, which makes it banned and gross mm -hmm. um but it's also legendary in that way where they had to present the actors in 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 court because to, to sort of prove that it wasn't they didn't capture snuff on film or something yes mm -hmm. um also, too, um, I'm just going to, um, the other thing, too, I also loved about 
and I'm going off the cuff, the first issue of Red Room, I remember that you kind of went over like um, sort of the history of, you know, you know, again, it's according to the times, like, you know, that uh, like murder movies were made in, I don't know, the 50s or something, then snuff films came along and, you know, now we have, you know, so it, I just thought that was a nice, you know, you did a two-page panel of just how the history of all this has, you know, the media of it has come from. Yeah, like something like that you put in there in case if I want to do, like issue four mm -hmm. is going to be about kind of like the VHS era of, of Red Rooms. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So it was my opportunity to draw VCRs and old cathode ray tube televisions with UHF dials and stuff. Oh, that's going to be pretty cool. Um, and then I'm going to say for our listeners, you know, and also too that, um, you know, um, even like mainstream mo movies have covered and even some comics too have, have talked about snuff films. Um, like if I remember correctly, I think the Nicolas Cage movie, eight millimeter did that. I think, uh, I know George David, Dave, uh, Peter David and George Perez, um, uh, Sasha violins their issue number one, they covered a little bit about that too. So, so it's also, you know, in comics as well, you know, back then in comics as well too, that they talked about this stuff. Um, let's see. Um, I love, um, I love the play on the cover that the com, you know, that Red Room, on the covers of Red Room, that the comics are banned from, you know, first issues, like it, the comic is banned in five countries. The, um, you know, I think issue number three, the comic is banned in 13 countries. You know, um, I, I really love that, you know, because it, it's kind of like, because it's like nowadays, like, it, it, to me, it's kind of ironic because nowadays pretty much almost can get anything off the internet nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure, man. You know, like growing up, you might have had Faces of Death or something. And now, like, you know, and on any given day, there's a new cartel video that's yeah. floating around on Twitter or something. I know, yeah, it's crazy. Okay, so I'm joking on this part. On so, when you do issue twelve, are you gonna put on the cover "ban on the planet Earth"? <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends how many countries are gonna ban it, man. <laughs> we got to we got to see. We got to see what happens. Um, okay, um, let's see. Um, I'm gonna ask. So, was Fantagraphics your choice to publish this series? You know. Was it your first choice to go with them to publish this series? Yeah, like the way, the way that I work is, uh, you know, I put feelers out and I want to see, like, if you get multiple publishers interested, then it becomes a matter of seeing, like, what else you can get in terms of production or whatever. Mm -hmm. And we have a very good history, Fantagraphics and I. We've mm -hmm. done great business together. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just offered the most stuff. And, and frankly, one of the most important pieces that they did offer was that free comic book day comic that, uh, that just, just sort of came out because mm -hmm. that's a fantastic business card for, for somebody to have, yes, you know, yes. like it's, it's a great entry point into a comic series. Uh, it, almost nobody really um, puts a lot of effort into those because, you know, the big publishers will just, put sample pages of their forthcoming series or something like that. So there's a real opportunity to shine there. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, like when I, when I sign a contract and I work with a publisher, I'm not necessarily going to just like 
you know, stick with them forever. It's like, we've made a deal. Like, let's, let's make good on the deal. And then uh, if we keep going and shit is cool, then we keep going and shit is cool. But, uh, you know, if somebody comes along and offers the universe, like, I'm going to go take that. Yeah. Okay. I think um, when you pitched this to Fanographics, can I just ask, what was, what was their reaction when you pitched this to them? <laughs> uh, yeah, like, you know, they're, I set certain personal precedents with, you know, Gary and Eric over at Fantagraphics whenever I did like, you know, the, the, the mini comic that came with the box set for Hip Hop Family Tree where I'm like drawing in Rob Liefeld style and stuff. Uh-huh. And I may be paraphrasing, but if I dig up the, the email that Gary sent me when I showed him the full book, mm-hmm. it was something like, Ed, what the fuck am I publishing here? And I just said, trust me, man, like people are going to like it. <laughs> and uh you know same goes for this you know like uh like it is not like i am i'm i'm, I'm keeping them honest man to 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 the to the you know to the average bear mm-hmm. you know, to the streets man keeping them you know pittsburgh people will love this shit it's 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 keeping them grounded you know what i'm saying man because like you know, Gary's the man. He has very uh, high ambitions for the comics medium, and so do I. Yes. But I also like to luxuriate in uh, vulgarity every now and then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. The other thing I wanted to ask was about, um, you know, have, you know, have they, have they, has Fanographics or even you gone, you know, you've done, you know, you've done the work, you've done the panels and everything, have either you or they gone well i think ed i think you've gone too far or ed i or you go ah, i think i went too far in this <laughs> i mean i have my own personal uh sort of lines and stuff mm-hmm. um but they they uh totally respect the artist uh you know another big reason i went with fantagraphics is because they are probably the only publisher that can separate art from the artist, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, certainly in, in this, this universe that we live in now, mm-hmm. uh, I don't see very many publishers supporting their, their, uh, their cartoonists whenever something goes down, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, Fantagraphics publishes Robert Crumb comics. Fantagraphics publishes comics made by Robert Crumb and Fantagraphics publishes comics made by people who talk shit on Robert Crumb. Mm-hmm. So that's a very cool equal opportunity capitalist that uh, Uncle Gary is. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you, um, I know um, there are a couple artists that have done varying covers for you. I'm going to ask, do you want to just give a shout out to them or any of them? Yeah, absolutely, man. Peach Momoko, Jeff Darrow, Troy Nixie, Takashi Okazaki, mm-hmm. and my man, my man Jim Rugg did a variant for, for every issue. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that, that helped goose the numbers. You know, I'm very thankful for these these people and frankly like i'm gonna have to you know take take jim out for dinner probably man because those covers he makes are so sexy mm-hmm. and then correct me if i'm wrong I, I this is an off-the-cuff question correct me if i'm wrong issue number three didn't jim do like um like a teenage ninja mutant ninja cover was it him yeah i saw that in the um in the um back back issue of um uh, issue number three, and I, and I was like, "That looks pretty cool." Yeah, man. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. Um, so, um, I'm going to continue on. 
um, let's see. Um, you know, as I mentioned at the you know at the beginning of the interview, that the comic is in black and white, and I know on your on the cartoonist kayfabe YouTube channel, you you know you the YouTube um, the YouTube channel that you and Jim um, you know do um, YouTube episodes. You talk about something about dual tones, you know, um, in your um, Red Room Number One director's commentary. Um, I'm not an artist. Um, but may I ask, can you maybe just describe to our listeners, you know, what is a du dual tone? Yes, it's a it's an old archaic uh, tool for okay. making black and white illustrations. And what it is, it's it's a it's a treated piece of paper where there are these invisible lines that are in like a very light blue when you when you buy a piece of this stuff, and they go. Uh, you know, parallel with each other. And then there's like a crisscross pattern. So there's two sets of lines going in two separate directions. And then you buy uh, these chemical developers. And, uh, you know, one of the chemicals will reproduce like one set of lines to give you uh, a light gray tone. Mm -hmm. And uh, two, you, you use the other uh, chemical to uh, to develop both lines to give you a darker gray so that that gives you a little extra value in your palette. Mm -hmm. And the, there are great examples you could find in the history of comics. Uh, notably, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics from Mirage Studios would, mm -hmm. would employ that technique a lot. Uh, we, we, we cover a lot of comics that, that use that. Faust comics would use it. Mm -hmm. The Crow would use it. Uh, you know, James O'Barr. Um, Dragon Chang, one of our personal favorites, man, Tim Truman and Tim Bradstreet. When Tim Bradstreet was doing stuff before he was doing like color covers, mm -hmm. all of his black and white illustrations would be on duotone board. And it's just, it's a really cool uh, aesthetic. It's an aesthetic that, that I really liked growing up. I was really mystified by it. Mm -hmm. And it just, and it just so happens that now, now this is a tool that's been extinct for 25 or 30 years at this point. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just so happened to like come across some some paper that mm -hmm. that uh, was undeveloped. So instead of drawing comic pages on that paper, mm -hmm. I developed the full sheets so that I could scan in the texture and just use it infinitely. Wow! Yeah, so that's how that's how those gray tones are achieved in um, Red Room. Because I'm just because it's like you know it's you know I love it. It's beautiful art. It really is. I love it, you know, it's, you know, like I said, it's like when I read through it, it's really great, you know, and I love it. Um, now, also, I know um, in, in the cartoonist kayfabe, um, one of the episodes, um, someone, I think someone, now correct me if I'm wrong, someone sent you like, um, like a, a bootleg copy of Red Room number one, and wasn't it like on like heavy paper or something like that? Well, I mean, I've received maybe five okay. uh, bootlegs. Uh, so, you know, of, of many different shapes and sizes and materials and stuff. Yeah, because I, I'm, I'm just asking, you know, have you toyed around with the idea of like reprinting Red Room on some of those papers? I, I know it's probably going to be expensive, but maybe like a limited copy or anything. Uh, no, nothing like that. But uh, in, the, in the trade paperback, we're using some different paper, kind of like a matte paper. 
Oh, okay, that's pre that's pretty cool. Okay, all right. Um, I'm going to switch gears because there are some humor in the red room. Um, the participants' handles. Um, chicken flag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's lots. Uh, basically, when I'm writing those parts, mm -hmm. the the nom de plumes, the the usernames or whatever. Yeah. Uh, that those are just stream of consciousness mm -hmm. names that like whatever I did that day or saw before I wrote that name mm -hmm. uh, kind of injects itself into the, into the, the comic. So it's quite possible that the day that I wrote that was mm -hmm. the day that we did a shoot interview with Howard Chaikin for a cartoonist kayfabe or something or, or read American flag issue one or something. Mm -hmm. And then for our new listeners, you know, um, Howard Chaikin, you know, he wrote American Flag. Um, oh, God, I think was it back in the 80s or something? I can't remember. Yeah. But yeah. Um, and, and I also love this other handle, too. K. Eastman. <laughs> Same deal, man. Like, it, we might have uh, yeah. interviewed Kevin Eastman that day. Okay. And then um, one last um, question. Um, um, regarding the Red Room. Now in issue one, now this is the question that I'm keeping in suspense. How do you get banned from the Red Room? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you, you saw you saw like some of the characters got banned and stuff. Yes, and like if, that. And if, yeah, and if you pay, yeah, if you pay close attention, the people who get banned from the Red Rooms are people who talk about like rival Red Room companies. So, so like it's a guy in a mistress pentagram red room mm -hmm. and they're talking about how poker face is cooler mm -hmm. or something like that so it's like boom banned man we don't even want to hear that word in okay. in our in our chat room man like we want no advertising for the for the competition mm -hmm. <laughs> but that like that said there are like one of the fun things that i like writing is um you know what's happening on the video screen is atrocious it's terrible Mm -hmm. and the people in the chat room might be talking about where they're going on vacation for the summer or something like you know mm -hmm. what's the best restaurant to eat mm -hmm. at? or they might also they might also be you know commenting on the video and saying gross things but there might be like one person that takes it too far by way of the consensus like like uh, everybody's talking gross and disgusting. And then like one person will say something where everybody else who was saying gross things yes. is like, Hey, Hey man, pump the brakes. Like uh, ch chill the hell out. You know, when something super gross and disgusting is yeah. happening on screen and talking gross things. I just like that. There's like, even amongst like no honor amongst thieves, right? Like mm -hmm. uh, even, even, you know, in their little room, a mm -hmm. go too far. So listeners, if you do pick up Red Room, um, you know, that, that's the, I, I read those. Those are, it's pretty, it's, you know, that, that's what I really read. And I, some of it is pretty funny. And, you know, yeah, like you said, it's like, yeah, there's no honor among thieves where they're like, yeah, this is cool. And someone takes it too far. It's like, whoa, dude, you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm going to move on to um, Cartoonist Kayfabe YouTube channel. Now, you and Jim Rugg started this channel in 2018. Um, for, our, for some of our new listeners, what is the channel about? Um, it's, you know, it's us talking comics. We're, mm -hmm. We have 
you know, 40, 45 years of experience combined uh, in, in this game. And uh, it's just a project that we, that we make where, where we discuss the, the comics that we dig. We, we always were interested in and would uh, kind of like read similar things and then, and then talk about it and discuss it. Mm-hmm. So this is us just recording it and, and sharing it with everybody. And like one of the real fun uh, kind of comments that we get often is from people who say things like, you know, I feel like I'm in the room with my, with my homies talking comics mm-hmm. and, and it's cool that we, we, you know, capture that vibe and are able to share it. And I think that that's like part of like what people dig about the channel. Mm-hmm. Um, a really cool community has developed uh, out of it. People have made amazing comic book anthologies. Mm-hmm. Uh, creative teams have met one another uh kind of in the in the comment section mm-hmm. uh when we went to uh probably one of our last shows that we went to before covid we might have only had about six or seven thousand subscribers at that time and when, when we went to the show i mean we saw like over a hundred cartoonist kayfabe shirts rocking the house you know like now now we got like you know forty six thousand people it's mm-hmm. like i want to now i wonder how many shirts we'll see at the festival you know yeah um for listeners, you know, if you guys get a chance, please check out, you know, the you, you know, this YouTube channel. You know, Ed and Jim, what I, and Ed, what I love about it because whatever, you know, the, the, you know, two or three episodes that I've watched, your guys' passion and love for comics come through. You know, that's what I really love, and it's it's always it's always you know very upbeat and it's just again you, the passion and love just comes through. Uh, you know, when you guys talk about when you guys go through comics and it's great yeah well you know we're real real serious about the stuff man like you know we we spend every other waking moment Mm -hmm. working on our comics thinking about comics Mm -hmm. the the comics have overtaken our houses Mm -hmm. and uh you know when we step away from the drawn table for you know a couple hours a day like on a thursday and and connect Mm -hmm. uh you know we spend that time talking talking about comics you know we're giant freaking nerds Mm -hmm. Okay, so before I start wrapping up, I want to ask you this, and you know, listeners, it is on the Cartoonist Kayfabe YouTube channel. Now, um, now I'm hoping I'm pronouncing the um, the artist's name Tim Tim Vig, Vigil. Is yeah. that correct? Okay, he is. Um, he's the now. Correct me. Was he the creator on Faust, or was he one of the co-creators? Co-creator. It's it's uh, Tim Vigil and David Quinn. David Quinn's the writer. Okay. So, um, so how did you guys get, um, Tim Vigil's triple X, uh, a copy of, um, the triple X Batman story? Yeah. That thing's pretty cool, right? Yes. It's, um, well, before we continue on, I want to make it clear for our listeners. Now, you know, what, when you guys are showing this, I, uh, to me, I call it, this is a very legit gritty Batman story. This is not some cheap shot Batman story, you know, you know, of Batman going down on Catwoman. It's like, no, it's, um, you know, um, you know, because like, uh, I'll let you talk more about it because you guys went through like page by page. <laughs> right. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's the, it's the Batman comic that to me makes the most sense mm-hmm. for existing Yes. Uh, if you th- really think about that character, and it's the comic that DC will never kind of approve. Mm-hmm. Uh, to answer your question up front, like we just we receive dozens of pieces of mail 
you know, every couple of days. And that just showed up as a random package from somebody who said, don't show this off because I didn't get approvals for it to be seen. I think it's supposed to be underground. Like nobody's supposed to really know about it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I sat on it for a long time until I realized I have uncle Tim's phone number, man. I'm just going to ask him if I could show it off. Mm-hmm. And you know, he's very specifically was like, yeah, go ahead. Don't uh, just, just, you know, I'll just say that like I did it as um practice like it's not for sale or anything like that so that you know the bitch ass you know bean counters at DC mm-hmm. don't don't you know try to try to mess with the man mm-hmm. so uh you know then we showed the thing off and and just love the rigor that went into it it feels very honest i think i think what you said is perfect because he's he's very it's very sincere uh comic Yes. You know, yes. he's he's not really playing around. And mm-hmm. listen, man, I, I think uh, Joker would be a cokehead. Why not? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because, because, yeah, it's like, you know, um, you know, Tim style of Batman, he's, you know, he's, you know, the, the pages that you guys shown is that Batman's, he's always, and he's always looked like he's in control. And it's, and I've never, I've, you know, I've read you know, we've both read a lot of Batman comics. You know, I've never seen Batman more, you know, controlled as ever. You know, um, even with how Tim drew Catwoman, you know, but Batman's like, he's very focused, he's very controlled. And then the pages of the Joker, it's like, you know, it's chaos fun. It's like, yes, you're right. It's like, you know, Joker would be a cokehead. Joker would be, you know, would just be, you know, screwing around with any chick or any, you know, and, and it's just the opposite, you know, just, to see the control versus the chaos, you know. Yeah, they, they use that term grim and gritty uh, yes. in, 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 you know, those, those comic, those post-Dark Knight comics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's pretty toothless. It's just like, you know, make this guy an alcoholic or, you know, it's corny. Uh, and and that's, that's the closest to grim and gritty as I've ever seen mm-hmm. in, in a superhero comic. And of course, it'll never be legitimately published or anything. Yeah, you know, but um, like I said, for listeners, you know, um, if you guys get a chance, please check out Cartoonist Kayfabe YouTube channel. And if you guys get a chance, there is that one episode with the Triple X um, Batman story um, that um, that um, Ed and Jim go over. So if you guys get a chance, check that out. Okay, so Ed, I'm going to start wrapping this up. Um, what was your best comic book convention moment, either as a fan or as a creator? You know that's a good question, man. I like I've I've had I've had a lot of good ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe to circle things back, maybe maybe that amazing Houston con where I got to rap to to Herb Trimpey mm-hmm. might be might might take the cake, man. Okay. You know, I've had a lot of good moments. Uh, almost almost every time it, there's something cool that goes down for sure. All right, and then you know, do you want to promote any of your friends' comics? Uh, yeah, sure, man. Like my co-host at Cartoonist Kayfabe, Jim Rugg, uh, Tom Scioli, like they're doing fly stuff. Uh, Scioli did a uh, Jack Kirby bi- uh, bio comic that is incredible, you know, drawn in pencil, which is the medium that Jack Kirby knew best. Uh, Jim is working on some secret stuff that he can't announce right this minute, mm-hmm. but uh, it's going to be super fun once, once the public does get to see it. You know, I've read a couple mm-hmm. pieces from it um street angel is his flagship comic uh so yeah that's that's the homies 
And then do you want to promote your social media platforms? Where can um, listeners and fans follow you? Yeah, I'm on all the, all the usual stuff, man. If you just Google Ed Piscor, it's usually the first batches of stuff to come up, man. Hit up Cartoonist Kayfabe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Ed Piscor is the name, so just Google it. You'll, you'll, find, you'll find the links. Okay. And then do you have any last words for our listeners? No, I just want to thank you for taking the time, helping me signal boost the comic and everything. Well, you know, Ed, no, I'm going to say, you know, just, you know, just thank you very much. You know, thank you for your time. Um, I wish, I wish you all the success for Red Room, you know, and, <coughs> excuse me. And then Ed, like I said, you know, again, I'm repeating myself again. Thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on our show. Um, and then Hannah, again, thank you very much for arranging the, you know, this interview, you know, again, Hannah, thank you. Hannah, you are the best. So um, I want to thank Drew, the co-host of Comics for Fun and Profit for putting this episode together and for all your hard work behind the scenes. And please check out new episodes of Comics for Fun and Profit that comes out every Saturday. Kyle and Drew talk about spec picks on new releases. You know, and finally, I want to thank you, the listeners, for your time and listening to this episode. Until next time, guys, aloha. Super cool, man.